0: It's Wednesday, April 27th. Welcome to Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson with you again, live from beautiful Jasper, Alberta. We're here at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. I was uh, lucky enough to deliver the keynote last night at the Community Camp. Uh, A group of uh, engaged movers and shakers uh, joining us here in Jasper from across the province. For that matter, across Western Canada had guests in from the United States as well. Spent a lot of time talking to a guy from Michigan last night about what they're doing uh, to create stronger communities stateside. It was an honor to be part of those conversations. And, and of course, I thought I'd stick around and have a sleepover. So here we are again, live from the Fairmont JPL coming up in today's edition, this week's edition of My Jasper Memories presented by Tourism Jasper. We're actually going to have a chance to check in with the director of golf operations here at the Fairmont Talon Suite. He's going to join me in, in about 20 minutes time, maybe 25 minutes. So kind of a cool opportunity. Typically, we'll go Take a look at your Jasper memories or tell you what's happening in town. But we rarely fit an interview in, but it, it's it's a big time of year, especially if you're into golf. You know that your favorite courses are either open already or getting set to open. And that includes this one right here nestled in the heart of the Canadian Rockies uh, the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge golf course consistently ranked the top golf resort in Canada. So we're going to take you in. We're going to show you some photos of how the course is looking, or at least how it looks in prime time and, and pick Talon's brain a little bit. We're going to talk about the story that everybody's talking about right now, at least people that are in to the social media. I mean, if you're, if you have a Twitter account or, or maybe if you don't and you have reasons why you're probably still following the story, of the world's richest man, Elon Musk, and his purchase of the social media site. We're gonna check in with a couple of experts on this. Uh, Dr. Amy Morrison will join us from the University of Waterloo, and Beverly Teresa, a social media strategist. That conversation coming up uh, in about a half hour's time from now. Leela Ahir, the United Conservative MLA out of uh, Chestermere Strathmore is gonna join us in just a couple of minutes. This show is presented each and every morning by our friends at Bitcoin Well. And there's a lot of talk about cryptocurrency right now. I don't have to tell you that. I'm going to be asking Jean Charest about that on Friday, by the way. Pierre Poliev's talking about crypto a whole bunch, Bitcoin a whole bunch. What's Jean Ray's take on it? He's going to be joining me live Friday morning just after 9 o'clock. You won't want to miss that one. If you have questions about bitcoin in particular i'm never going to tell you you should sell the farm and buy bitcoin but if you have questions about it bitcoin well is where i recommend you go ask for benny tell him jespo sent you you can find him under the sponsors tab at ryan real talk
1: starts right now here's ryan jesperson
0: Well, this show, we tell you, we talk news, politics and pop culture, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. The news, of course, oftentimes is hand in hand with politics, and I'm grateful that our next guest has agreed to join us. She's the former minister of culture, multiculturalism and the status of women. She is still the MLA for the good folks in Chestermere, Strathmore, where I'm not sure if Leela here knows this, but we actually operate a family business in your riding. I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, yeah, my brother's business, Joy Botanicals is out there in, in Chestermere, Strathmore. So he's out there every single day. Have you heard about it?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. They're actually they're 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 pairing with Strathmore in the town of Strathmore right now, yeah. um, historically, because along that CP rail line that ran through there, Strathmore was known for growing really interesting botanicals when that line first opened up, like in 1908. Wow. So yeah, I know lots actually about that. Oh that's really cool. Yeah, you and
0: I have never <laughs> spoken about that before. So oh. I have a chance here you are on the show. So I thought I'd mention it to you. Hey, I appreciate your availability. I want to let people know typically I'll open. With a bit of a preamble, or I'll, I'll go off on a rant, and uh, you've got a busy morning ahead of you. So we want to get right to this, and I, and I promise I'll have you out by the time that I said I did. There's a lot of ground to cover. Um, I wanted to start just in the context of, of me mentioning you're the you're, you are the former minister of of culture and multiculturalism and the status of women. I will acknowledge that this is not your department currently, but I had an interesting conversation with MLA David Shepard from the opposition to NDP, this uh, private members bill 204 that he put in front of a committee. He really wants to see government departments collecting race based data and uh, made a pretty strong and compelling argument about why that's important, uh, as did his co-panelists. People can check out our podcast or YouTube archives for that interview a couple of days ago. He made the assertion and, and and of course, he's a politician and this is the way that it works, but essentially saying that, you know, under this United Conservative government, collecting race based data isn't a priority. He was disappointed about it. And I want to hear it from the other side uh, as, a, as a member of this government, as an elected representative and MLA when it comes to combating systemic racism. What types of conversations are happening within caucus and and how does this subject land with you personally? Well,
2: I I actually I think it's a beautiful discussion. Um, I'm so sorry that I'm not prepared enough to have this discussion fulsomely with you, Ryan, but I think it's worthwhile to continue the discussion. The the aspects of race-based data, really require a lot of consultation, not only amongst government, but within corporation as well too, because that data can be used in positive ways. I think the way that all of us would like to see it used, but it could also be used in really negative ways too, especially if you're dealing with systemic racism. So um, I really appreciate bringing for any time we have a discussion around this and potentially even looking at how that would go into government policy. Um, When I had the privilege of being the minister and co-chairing with ARAC, the discussion came up all the time, I would be lying if I didn't say that there was also concerns from um, organizations that are looking at how to, you know, further diversity and inclusion within their corporations, that they were also concerned that that data could be used in negative ways as well too. So I think it's really a worthy discussion. Um, I would prefer to have it not be politicized or polarized. I think it's something that we need to work on together collaboratively.
0: It, through your time in government, and you've been around for a while, you've, I mean, you've got a lot of experience of, of course, sort of in front of the cameras, and and talking to the people and then also understanding how the mechanisms work and seeing how it all comes together. Have you seen firsthand uh, evidence that has stuck with you that that systemic racism continues to impact government departments, continues to impact people pursuing careers in politics? Is it something you've experienced personally?
2: Yeah, oh, I I think, um, I can't remember how many years, but when I was first in the ministry, um, I wrote an article actually about racism and my personal journey through that. Um, I haven't had, had, I have not had as many difficult experiences as many of my colleagues and others. But to assume that systemic racism doesn't exist is ludicrous. There, it absolutely is there. It's absolutely. And the problem that we have is that it's like many of these other issues, um, systemic issues are silent and they're very, very hard to, it's hard to quantify, which I think is where David and others are going is to try and quantify what that actually looks like so that you as an organization can look at how you're improving and removing barriers and making sure that those places are safe for people. Um, they... The idea, though, that there's only one way to do it, that's these are really um, anecdotally when you speak to various people from other cultures who have been through really, really intense amounts of racism, um, they're not always willing to put their race first and foremost because of what they've been through they want to be judged based on their competencies who they are as human beings not necessarily gender or race this is what we've heard directly from communities who are finding themselves in the midst of all of this so i think that it's a very sensitive very important and it's an imperative piece of going for not only for government but corporate uh, public sector all of these we all have we all have a i think well we have a responsibility to see culture shift happen right so that that um, alberta being the place where we fling our arms, our arms wide open want people to come here we want them to feel safe we want them to have the best lives that they can anything that contributes to that is important so um yes to your answer there it's everywhere mm-hmm. but it's also being to suggest that it's not being dealt with or that there are things that are happening that are not thoughtful processes to make it better i i don't know if the rhetoric is the right way to look at it. I think we also have to look at our accomplishments collectively as well, too.
0: It's It's been interesting to see what's been happening in the context of uh, the premier's leadership review. And we're going to see the results of that, I guess, in a few weeks now, coming up right around May 18th. Um, I would imagine that it's it's been somewhat of a divisive exercise. I don't have to imagine, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you saw Peter Guthrie, your colleague, the MLA out of Airdrie, Cochrane yesterday, his Facebook post talking about how the premier is essentially reaping what he's sown. You know, uh, Dean Bennett reporting on this with the Canadian press. He says there's been a culture of fear. The premier encourages disrespectful treatment through his own actions. Uh, Guthrie pulling no punches said is it is this negativity quote developed through a culture of fear that destroys unity Uh, says it's this approach, this leadership style that's driven a wedge between the caucus and the executive, the party executive causing opinions to solidify against Jason Kenny. What sort of an impact has this had on the party? I mean, what are you seeing from where you're sitting?
2: Well, the, the entire, just to back up a little bit, Ryan, like the, Everybody that was going on April 9th to Red Deer, people had not, you know, gotten babysitters for their kids, paid their $99 plus their membership to just go and show up and not have a voice. They were going there as a movement. We're a baby movement, right? Where our our party is new. There's lots of room for improvement and change. And this was a really cathartic moment for a lot of folks to be able to show up and do that. That was taken away from people. And uh, the party broke their own rules. By moving it to this vote, this this um, mail-in ballot. So there is so much concern when it comes to like what what Peter is saying. You can't mandate unity. You have to lead with inspiration. You have to look at your family that you're in and how is it that you bring that talent and that strength together. You don't go and say that you're going to be stronger and tougher and you know mandate you know <laughs> people's loyalty to you. You have to earn that. You have to you have to put people. In positions whereby the defense of the decisions that you're making are collectively, again, together, you're showing that you have the betterment of your community and the and the and the province in the in all of the mirrors, right side view mirrors, first, forward, behind you, everything. So, I would suggest that. You know you have to lead with grace and you have to lead by example. If your own staff are are saying disrespectful things about elected duly elected officials Ryan, we're not just here because we just showed up one day. You know, we represent you know thousands of people in our ridings and that is a tremendously you have a lot of arrows to- tossed at you, all of the elected officials on both sides. You sacrifice a lot of family time, a lot of time away. You miss birthdays, you miss all of that. And none of us regret that for a millisecond. But if if your own if you are letting your staff and allowing and, and actually pushing your staff to speak in disrespectful tones, especially using cartoons and memes and language like you know, extremists and lunatics and all of that, that. It doesn't really you can't ma- you can't You can't possibly assume that unity is a possibility when you're when you're using language like that and leading that way
0: yeah i think it was it uh, dr ubako bogu that was that was described as a <laughs> lunatic right by by the premiers i say you know by the premier i mean it's from his twitter account and and who knows who's writing those tweets i mean i think most people have a pretty good idea you're, you're specifically talking about the staff in the premier's office. And a lot of people have been talking about this, how, how this premier through the course of his political career has sort of insulated himself from controversy by surrounding himself by these soldiers that will really do the dirty work. And I've tweeted about it. I've been quite outspoken about it. how I believe it's, quite frankly, unbecoming for whoever holds that office, the office of the premier of a proud province it doesn't matter the premier of whatever province. Uh, but I know that it's been really problematic and not just with people that, that either would or wouldn't vote conservative, that do or do not support Jason Kenney, I think by people that just pay attention to politics, by people that have minimum standards, uh, expectations of how government should function and how elected officials should represent themselves. You've been around for a while, Wild Rose Party, MLA, obviously United Conservative, MLA. You've been re-elected, which is uh, obviously a big deal and says something. And, and you've been challenged strongly in your in your writings and, and, and you're still there. Have you seen behavior like this before? I mean, how would you contrast the tone or the structure, the behavior, the operations of this premier's team, his office versus what you've seen in the past?
2: We've seen it lots before, but Ryan, you can't base your own behavior on the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. I could go into lots and lots of stories about, you know, stuff that was said during the NDP time as well too. I mean, there was lots of things, but I'm not, I can only I can't use that as a reason to base myself on the lowest common denominator, I want to be better than that. And I want to see better than that. A a premier staff will only do what they see when they're led by example. Right. If there, if a premier leads with an example of kindness and grace, and an ability to be able to talk to any subject with a, an open mind and a thoughtful process, you will see your staff reflect that. Otherwise, and like I said, I, I could you and you and I are going to have to have several conversations because we can go over lots and lots of things that have happened in the past, especially having had been in opposition before. Sure, yeah. lots of things, but I don't. I we don't. We need to ascend beyond that. You know, do we do we look at what's been done in the past and go, well, they did it. So therefore, well, and I I take
0: issue with people, people just going, well, that's politics these days. or That's how people are winning elections these days. Like nastiness is working, right?
2: Yeah, it can't work. But you you and I and others have to demand better on all sides, that rhetoric and that um, inability to be able to touch people in their hearts and communicate. We've come out of some of the darkest times that Alberta has seen in recent history. People need us to have a face forward that they can rely on, that they trust, that people can come to you, that you are, you know, you're, I, I'm just regular Schmo. I, I'm blessed and honored and privileged to be here, but I am like every other Albertan, regular, normal, everyday Albertan. I just have a tremendous amount of privilege. And I just, I would hope that people could see that humility and understand that we were, we are here at the privilege of the people putting us here. And that's a tremendous humble position.
0: You spent a lot of time around Brian Jean. He's now back in the legislature, the former leader of the official opposition. He wants to be leader of the United Conservative Party, but it's somewhat of a remarkable scenario. He wins this by-election uh, in Fort McMurray on the premise that he's going to come in and try to unseat the leader of the party. I, I can't think of the last time that there was. It's not even a Trojan horse because there's he's not even hiding it, uh, but he's sworn in and he's there. How would you describe the I heard that he was received with and it was relatively an unspectacular arrival at the legislature and that and that it was, relatively speaking, drama free. But there's got to be somewhat of an uncomfortable vibe in caucus right now. How would you describe the impact of the Brian Jean factor?
2: (laughs) Well, you know, and you're right. I've known Brian for a long time um, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. Uh, The I, I don't know. I look at it from his journey. Right. He's been through quite the journey himself to put himself in a position to sit like we're, we're in the back row, you know, on the far right hand side, sitting together, having been, you know, the, the leader of the opposition in the past. It's a tremendous, tremendous, again, humble position. And I believe he's there to represent the people of his riding and all of these other things. Honestly, we have to legislate right now. We have to work on that. And I think all of us are really focused on that. And we're all, you know, like you'd mentioned before, everybody's in nominations. Um, God willing, there will be a uh, leadership review or leadership race that would be triggered from this review. I just hope that everybody sends in their ballots. I I know there's a lot of concern and there's a lot of frustration over all that, but I just hope people will vote and send in their ballots.
0: Are you on the record as supporting Brian Jean in his quest to become leader of the party? Where do you stand on that?
2: Oh, honestly, I haven't, that part of it, that's so far down the line, Ryan, we need to get through this next little part first and we're still in the legislature. So we just really need to focus on doing that job. I I wish I could give you an answer, but honestly, it would be so self-indulgent to worry about what's gonna happen at that point. A leadership race, will it's like similar to a um, a nomination. It won't take that much time and we can organize that when we're out of legislature, but I'm just excited what a leadership race would do is it brings a lot of really good people forward and it engages people at a grassroots level. You're out there, you're hearing people. Um, you can reset and refocus this very, very young party and listen to people and participate and you know get your members excited and acknowledged again and really, really build trust because that's what our biggest responsibility is at this point.
0: I'll acknowledge you are not the minister of education, but I want to ask you about this. There's a lot of chatter about schools and education right now. A hugely controversial curriculum review uh, under this government, uh, which continues, I think, to concern a lot of people, to annoy a lot of people. Um, And then there's talk right now about funding for private schools and charter schools. And and this premier and this government has made it a priority to, to make Charter schools and the application to open them a little bit easier, um, opening up what you might call parents' rights and education, et cetera. Whether it's this year or next year, how much of an issue, an election issue, do you think education, including funding for charter and private schools and the curriculum review, is going to be? What's the conversation like around the caucus table?
2: Yeah, it's become so polarized again, hasn't it? And I just feel for the people of Alberta, especially when so much of the information that is coming out it's it's difficult and it's confusing to understand even for those of us who are participating um you probably know this about me i'm a huge believer in school choice i just think it's a marvelous part of our province um i am actually having meetings with my trustees and superintendents in the next week i have regular meetings with them so to kind of get the the pulse and the heartbeat of how they're feeling about how everything's going on but um and also with all of our teachers in the riding as well too so i don't have too much to add to that right now all i can say those is, Ryan, is that for, at least for me, I can only speak for myself, it's a regular consultation with the parents and the families and the school boards and the school authorities and, and everybody. These are people I tremendously respect and love immensely in our riding. We have tr- just unbelievable representation at the table. So, I'm sorry that I can't speak to that more at this point. Time. No, I
0: appreciate I- you taking the question and, and we'll just circle for- back. I mean, it's an oh, ongoing conversation you. obviously, right? Yes. Um,
2: yes.
0: Let me, I know you have to go, but I want to ask you about your member statement yesterday. Uh, there there are, are issues and, and subject matter that people would expect to be addressed at the Alberta legislature. And then there's an issue or subject matter that that might surprise people, certainly intrigue them. You, You spoke yesterday about about FGM. Can you take us into it?
2: Yeah, and I'd love to come on and talk about this again. Um, so, female genital mutilation is a um, a cutting of the clitoris and then further uh, sewing together labia minora and majora at times, which is a cultural practice that's been going on for thousands of years. And a lot of people don't think that it happens in Alberta. And of course, the cutting and the surgeries don't necessarily have it happen here, but we have something called the cutting season, where girls um, anywhere between the ages of you know young to, to you know age fourteen can be sent. Um, home to countries where this cutting is done as part of a cultural practice. So the legislation itself is to help elevate the discussion, educate, and help bring the colleges and the organizations on board to help be able to identify and recognize, to help make sure that this process isn't happening in the province, and also to provide supports and other things. If if a person has been cut, there's reconstructive surgery that happens. There's lots and lots of bits and pieces to this, but it falls into a larger... um, a, a, like a more a more robust discussion around um, honor beatings, honor killings, child marriage and abuse. And so, you know, when we talk about the protection of girls and women, you, you have to talk about the protection of girls and women, especially when Canada is looking to attract a tremendous amount of people from all over the world. And it's not, you, you have to be so careful, Ryan, that you're not imposing, you know, Western philosophy onto other diasporas or countries. We're really being led by um, the women's groups in the countries where this this procedure is happening and also where girls from countries like North America are being sent overseas to have it. So it's been a really it's been a huge privilege. It's not an easy discussion, but as you know, the only way to remove stigma around anything, especially when it comes to abuse or, or cultural practices or anything like that, comes from having a discussion and not pointing fingers but looking at how we have the discussion to change. And if we save one little girl from the cut, it's totally worth it.
0: That's Leela here, the United Conservative MLA out of Chestermere, Strathmore. I know you've got to run. Thanks for your availability today. We always appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Ron. Thank you so much for taking the time to have me. I really appreciate it a lot.
0: Yep, yeah, you got it. We'll speak with you again. You can let us know what you think about what you're hearing here. Talk at Ryan dot com is our email inbox. And of course, you can hit us up on Twitter as well. Our hashtag #RealTalkRJ. Uh, in just a second. Uh, we're going to take you out to Jasper. That's where we're coming to you live from this morning. Uh, I'll be back on the road back in studio with producer John Hicks tomorrow, uh, Thursday, Friday, back in our home studio in Edmonton. And that includes, as mentioned, the conversation on Friday, just after nine o'clock with conservative leadership candidate Jean Charest. That's coming up. You know, we're proud to be affiliating ourselves officially with the team that's putting out again Canada's longest running documentary film festival. That's Northwest Fest. It runs from May 5th through the 15th, and Real Talk is thrilled to be the opening night presenting sponsor we're going to be seeing who you're going to call which is an amazing film about the legendary ray parker jr and he's the one that wrote the ghostbusters theme song but his career there's a way bigger story there you're going to see him here on real talk and we wanted to give you a heads up our patreon supporters you can learn more about our Patreon at ryanjesperson.com. Just click on connect. You're going to be getting an email today that gives you not just exclusive access to line up tickets to opening night, but a promo code that's going to send you there with a pair of tickets absolutely free. It's our way of saying thank you for your support of Real Talk through our Patreon account. And then if you subscribe to our Real Talk Sunday message, that's the email that I send out every Sunday evening you can subscribe to that by scrolling to the bottom of our web page it's there nice and easy to sign up if we have some tickets left after our Patreon crew has access to them we're going to make those available to our Real Talk Sunday message subscribers so now's a great day today's a great day to subscribe to our Real Talk Sunday message also wanted to put on your radar a film coming up on May 12th at Northwest Fest called Kaepernick and America it explores the intersection between quarterback Colin Kaepernick he's so much more than a quarterback isn't he his anthem protests and the reactions that they spurred in the United States and and really quite frankly all around the world revealing unique insights into America's ongoing racial turmoil Kaepernick and America screens May 12th at Northwest Fest you can learn more line up your tickets again at northwestfest.ca Our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge are Alberta's Jeep and Dodge Superstore. You're not going to find a better selection of Ram trucks or, for that matter, the brand new Jeep Grand Cherokee than you will at these dealerships. They share their inventories, which means you're going to find exactly what you need, whether it's new or pre-owned. And don't forget their service department consistently earning the return business of their customers at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. If this is the time of year where you're starting to look outside and realize, I'm describing myself, that, that your lawn looks absolutely terrible, this is a great time to talk to Talon Sweeney, by the way. I'm going to get turf care tips in just a second. Our lawn looks brutal. We're going to give Eden Landscaping a call. LandscapeEdmonton.ca is where you can see what they do from quick yard reinventions to total overhauls, bringing your outdoor space to life. It's Eden Landscaping at LandscapeEdmonton.ca. Wednesdays uh, we're really proud to partner up with our friends at Tourism Jasper we take you out to the mountains every single Wednesday now this week we happen to literally be here in beautiful Jasper Alberta making our own my Jasper memories and that's what we call it every single week it's a way to celebrate this crown jewel of the Canadian Rockies and it's a real pleasure to welcome to the program today A good pal of mine and the director of golf operations at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge, Talon Sweeney. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. Yeah, I was hoping that we could do this interview on the first tee box, uh, but it didn't work out that way right now. I know that your crew is hard at work because you guys are opening. Opening day is looming, isn't it?
3: It is. Yeah. We've, uh, we've set our official opening date for Saturday, May 7th. So yeah, our, our turf team is, is hard at work preparing the golf course and, uh, we will be ready to go. The, the, the golf course has, uh, wintered exceptionally. Uh, the greens, uh, are A plus and the tee boxes came through fantastic. Uh, so we're really looking forward to getting going.
0: Hey, Talon, I'm not going to ask you why my lawn looks so lousy. I, I, I have suspicions with regards to why it looks so lousy, but <laughs> I know what you're talking about a golf course and, and quite frankly, the course that number one, I mean, it's consistently ranked number one, the golf resort in Canada, consistently one of the top courses in Canada. Do you hold your breath a little bit when after these harsh winters? I mean, you're right here in the Rockies. You're lifting the covers off those greens. Is, is there that moment of trepidation where you're, you're going to you have to see how they wintered?
3: Uh, at times, a little bit. I mean, I think you need to. I think the reality is uh, we have a golf course in the middle of the Canadian Rockies, and the winters can be very harsh. Um, but uh, you know, as long as your 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 turf care team does an exceptional job uh, and has the time to to put the golf course to bed properly, um, ensure the turf blankets are on the course and on the putting greens, um, you're going to have a good opportunity. Obviously, um, Mother Nature can do its thing, uh, but uh, fortunately, this year everything has. Uh, has turned out great so we're we're really looking forward to
0: it Uh, where i'm staying on the property right now i'm 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 just right by the 18th fairway and i was walking into work this morning came in a little bit early i've got a coffee and i was a little bit off in my own world and uh and i'm sort of gazing off on and and i'm imagining i when i played 18 last year uh brutal slice lost a ball i was choked it was a terrible way to wrap up the round and so i have i got to come back and avenge that this year Point being, I'm daydreaming and I look up and all of a sudden there's an elk about 60 feet from me. And I kind of went, oh, <laughs> I got gotta to adjust my course. That's one of the special parts of playing this course is that we've seen the grizzly. Uh, I think it's on hole three. We took our grizzly par a couple of years ago. I mean, it's a really special element. You don't get on a lot of courses.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say I was going to ask if you if you saw some of the elk on the course, obviously, the course is um, built built inside the wildlife corridor. So our elk are allowed to, to roam freely throughout uh, some certain holes in the course. So, um, yeah, it's always exciting to see, especially when you're a first time player coming to Jasper. and You have an opportunity in the first two months of the season to see, you know, potentially a grizzly bear, black bear, some elk, you know, um, coyotes, mule deer. Uh, white-tailed deer. So there's lots of different wildlife here in the national park, and um, usually you have a good opportunity to see some of that when you're playing those first two months of opening season.
0: Is there something about the certain types of grasses on the on the greens or the fairways that attract the grizzlies in particular? I mean, I've I've sat there and watched them before from a safe distance, obviously, uh, but, but you can see them. They they really love that grass. Is there something about it?
3: Well, it's the Typically, it's the first spot to to start on thawing, actually having some grass, right? So, um, you'll you'll see a lot of the the bears will come down Signal Mountain, a few other mountain ranges, and you know, obviously, when that snow starts to melt off, and you know, you get some fresh green grass there, um, it looks pretty tasty to some of that uh, some of the animals out there.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Um, We've got a a significant part of our uh, listening audience, of the audience that tunes in on YouTube, calls Alberta home. Um, And I'm not sure everybody knows about the Alberta resident rate. I wanted to put this on people's radar that they can call for a bit of a discount. What, they just have to show a driver's license? How does it work?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we offer all Albertans a 20% discounted rate. um, And yes, they would have to show uh, proof of of residence within uh, the province of Alberta. Um, So when you are just checking in, uh, it's just a quick check on your ID just to ensure that you are an Alberta resident. And, yeah, we get we offer you 20 percent off throughout the season, whether it's opening rates, high season rates and our closing rates as well. Do you have
0: a do you have a favorite hole on the course? As a matter of fact, John Hicks, the producer, just put up a he just put up a photo for people watching on YouTube. And and John, he couldn't have planned this, but, but I don't want to dictate your answer. He happens to be showing off my favorite hole. Do you have a favorite on the course? I do, and I was actually
3: on the fence of what backdrop I should use today. Uh, I didn't use fourteen because I thought that would have been a little too catchy. So uh, fourteen is actually my favorite hole, Lac um, for a few different reasons. Um, it's a shorter hole, three hundred and sixty yards, uh, slight dog leg left. But you know, when you get off the uh, when you get off the thirteenth green, you, you stroll up, uh, whether it's in your cart or you're walking over, and you stand on the tee box and you're overlooking uh, Lac Bouvere. You can see Pyramid Mountain. Kind of takes you away from the actual shot, which needs to needs to carry about 180 yards over the water so if you can hit about 180 to 220 give yourself uh, a pretty good looking shot into an uphill green tucked uh, all the way down the left-hand side of lac over and it's uh very picturesque and it's uh it's an amazing hole and i you know what i would probably say the second the the 15th hole after that uh the bad baby short par three 130 to 138 yards um if there's ever a spot to get a hole in one um that's the one and you know i've i've been here for this will be my 11th season i'm still yet to get one i've been all over it but one of these days uh hopefully i can get one on 15 as everybody else seems to get one
0: Well, I was I was proud to host the Tee Up for Tots tournament last year in support of the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. And we started shotgun start. We started on 15 and they paired me up with a foursome like as the host of the thing. They paired me up with a foursome. My first shot of the day, I missed a hole in one by about 10 inches. Uh, It was my best shot of the day. I was brutal after that. They thought that they had a sandbagger with them. They did it. Uh, but it was pretty amazing. Um, Talent. Best way for people to to get started. I mean, you're, are you are, are you filling up? Are you filling up your t sheet already? Are people to start booking trips out there right now? How does it go?
3: Yeah. So there's four different ways. Uh, four different ways you can book. Um, you can call in the golf shop seven eight zero eight five two six zero nine zero. You can email our golf reservations jpl golf at fairmont uh, You can book online at uh, jaspermountaingolf.com. And you can also download our app and book uh, jasper mountain golf you can download that on the apple or or android and uh, you can book right from there
0: awesome buddy um you haven't had a chance to play the course yet have you is it a little too early still
3: it's a little too early i've walked it a few times though
0: yeah awesome well it's a, it's like just an incredible place to be it does something for the soul uh regardless of how you shoot And uh, certainly uh, my favorite golf course in the world, Talon Sweeney, the director of golf operations at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you so
3: much, Ryan. It's a pleasure talking to you. And we'll see you soon.
0: You got it, buddy. Uh, Talon, by the way, uh, proud product of Stony Plain, Alberta, uh, with certainly one of the coolest jobs in the world. Uh, My Jasper Memories is presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. And this week, with the incredible support of the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge, and we're proud to partner with them, we would love to see your Jasper Memories. And uh, that starts with... Uh, your photos and your videos, your posts on Twitter or Instagram, uh, make sure that you use the hashtag MyJasper and the hashtag RealTalkRJ. Now, coming up in just a moment, we're going to talk to social media strategist Beverly Teresa. She's absolutely hilarious, and, uh, and I'm sure that she's going to have some hot takes on Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. She'll be joined by Dr. Amy Morrison out of the University of Waterloo as well, an English professor who specializes in social media. So a really cool area of study. That's coming up in just a couple of minutes, and we'll be keeping an eye on our hashtag, keeping an eye on our live chat to see where you're standing on that. As this story continues to develop, uh, Johnny, did you see this yesterday, the Tesla Stock down about 12% yesterday on the news that Elon Musk is buying Twitter. That represents a loss uh, with regards to the the value of the company of more than $100 billion. I did yesterday. Now, it's not probably not a permanent plunge, but. I thought it was pretty interesting. It goes to show investors are wondering how Elon Musk is going to steer multiple, multi-billion dollar companies. And
4: we were talking about that yesterday. And I feel like I'm kind of watching like, is he is he going to change the font? Is he going to like fire <laughs> a whole boardroom on one day? And you're like watching the financial angle. I love this. But uh, I feel like I'm just getting too much more than I've ever had of Elon Musk news. Can I have less can I not we hear just, about it for well, a day? like you said yesterday? After we you talk scroll. to Beverly and
0: Amy, then then we can chill out on the Elon Musk talk. That's You're not-
4: scrolling on Twitter, and that's all I see. It's yeah. yeah, it's too much. Well, because it's
0: still first, it was like. What's up with the offer? What's going to happen? Are they going to accept the offer? And then people are going, well, they have to accept the offer. So the board is working to get a, a counter offer or a competing offer, and then they didn't, and then they have to, you know, and then, okay, well, is what does that do to the share value? Can you squeeze more revenue out of it? What does this do to the tone? Is yeah. Donald Trump going to come back? I mean, there's, there's a lot of implications. What's he going to do, Elon, that is, to put his stamp on the so-called free speech that he insists that he's going to fight for, and, and what's that going to look like? What are the implications going to be? I think the fact that so many people are talking about it just goes to show that that Twitter, I mean, depending on the day, depending on how you feel about it, either does or does truly matter. And to a lot of people right now, it's a, a significant lot of people, yeah. story, right? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, it's, you know, it's been described as sort of like the public town hall or the public forum. This is where people go to have those conversations. So so we're going to have that conversation coming up in just a minute. Uh, Dr. Amy Morrison and Beverly Teresa as well. I want to remind you, of course, how proud we are to partner with the team at the Dairy Queen of uh, these are the Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park crews. So in Sherwood Park Baseline Road and in Edmonton, Westmount. That's our home DQ. That's our home turf. Newcastle, Nomeo, and Palisades as well. It's the, the Lieber and the Cardinal families. Uh, these are family owned and operated locations. And this week, they want us to remind you about the Oreo. The Oreo Dirt Pie Blizzard. What? The Cotton Candy Blizzard. Are you kidding me? The Nestle Drumstick with Peanuts Blizzard. And the Very Cherry Chip Blizzard, which has got to be the most fun one to say. The Very Cherry Chip. You can find those at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. You make sure you let them know that you're there because of real talk. That's where you heard about them. Our friends at Friesen Brothers, I was just talking to them yesterday. Uh, They've been out at a big conference in Vancouver talking about the future of grocery But Friesen Brothers has been leading that charge. You know, the so-called Grocerant trend, the the melding, the the, the blending together of groceries and restaurants, that's what Friesen Brothers is all about. And today is National Prime Rib Day. That means it's a great time to head to your Friesen Brothers and get your hands on some prime rib real Alberta beef from real butchers at Friesen Brothers, which has been Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned for more than 65 years. And speaking of our hashtag, Park Power is powering that hashtag, Real Talk RJ. They're your local and friendly utilities provider in the game with internet, electricity, and natural gas. You can compare rates today, including those fixed rate options, which I know are appealing to a lot of people right now. As It seems the variable rates are not just unpredictable, but skyrocketing parkpower.ca you can compare your rates today the promo code 2022 dash real talk is going to get you 70 dollars off your first bill with park power i feel like i don't really need to to tee up this next story because everybody's talking about it seems like everybody knows that the world's richest man i mean barring unforeseen or extraordinary circumstances now owns twitter elon musk the question is, what stamp will he put on it? How will he live up to his promise to ensure that it is a bastion of free speech? And what does that mean for the millions of users around the world? Dr. Amy Morrison is uh, an associate professor of English at the University of Waterloo with a fascinating focus when it comes to her work. She talks about social media as a platform for for biography and activism through hashtags selfies. She's been working on a book about selfies as a matter of fact. Uh, Her research engages with emergent forms of social media as a set of complex and consequential rhetorical literary and social practices undertaken by ordinary people. Beverly Teresa is without a doubt your favorite social media strategist helps businesses through social media training consulting and management she's been doing it for about a decade including work with the united nations association rogers and many other notable companies Uh, to the both of you welcome we're so happy to have you here uh dr morrison let's start with you i want to start with general thoughts and by the way i want to encourage both you to, to jump in and interrupt me and let's just treat this like we're having coffee this morning but where's your head at? We've had a couple of days to process this uh, this news. It's, it's a huge takeover. It's one of the biggest internet acquisition deals in human history. How are you wrapping your mind around it?
5: Uh, it's funny to me that uh, Elon Musk is, is describing his desire to create um, the world's biggest public square. Um, and he's doing this essentially by taking it entirely private. Right, so this, uh, there's a columnist in the Washington Post, um, Robin Gibbons discussing this today, sort of saying like, it's, it's a bit of an irony to say like, we wanna have a public commons, which is ground held by the public paid for with civic dues where people can go and express themselves as citizens in a group of citizens. We can't sort of create that um, when one gajillionaire buys the entire site um, and then says that he wants to create a space for the public by taking this company entirely out of public control and returning it to private control.
0: How about you, Beverly? Like generally speaking, what are you focusing on right now? What's really capturing your attention on the story?
6: Mostly from the user end, because I've been using Twitter since 2008. I'm I'm in love with it (laughs) and would like to marry it, but also like, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm really super excited to see where it goes, but also kind of nervous because I feel like it's like my social media baby. And as a marketer, um, him talking about how he doesn't maybe want to show as many ads and things like that. So how does that impact my industry as well?
0: Yeah. How does that impact your business? That's an angle that, that I haven't had a lot of people talk about. You know what I'm intrigued by Beverly, you, you, you use the word excited. Like, so you're not, you're not automatically or inherently opposed to this. Can, can you see a potential positive outcome?
6: So I watched Elon Musk on the TED interview and where he actually referred to it as the town hall. And he came up with some interesting things like he wants to make the algorithm open source, meaning that anyone can view it. Anyone can um, recommend edits. He wants to upload it to GitHub, which is a code repository website. So really, it's like going to be if if it if he does what he says he's going to be doing. Um it's going to be open to everyone to see the code. So it can't necessarily have a balance of for politics right and left or um like And he said also the free speech, I I have the quote written down, free speech is if someone you don't like is free to say something you don't like. So while free speech, his free version of free speech is still going to be following the laws um, that the government sets, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean you can go on there and be like, I want to kill this politician.
0: Right. Yeah. Dr. Morrison, can you take us into that? I mean, the, the free speech angle, a lot of people are, huh. are saying, well, what constitutes exactly free speech? I mean, would you would you uh, could could you make the argument that, that Twitter has clamped down or has compromised free speech, do you think, as it exists uh, to this day?
5: Well, Elon Musk is a free speech absolutist, and that means that for him and people like him and they are numerous, that the answer to speech is always going to be more speech. So if it's hateful speech, the answer is speech to counter that hateful speech. If it is um, inaccurate speech, the counter to that is going to be accurate speech. And so that is a positive um, conception uh, of free speech, right? There's the positive and the negative conception, and that's the freedom to to say whatever you want, right? So anybody can say anything, right? So that's the free speech absolutist position. And the philosopher Isaiah Berlin has a secondary part of, of free speech there, and that freedom is freedom from. Right. So I would like to go and say my piece on Twitter without people looking up my daughter on Instagram um, and then telling me that they know who she is. And I'm a loveless shrew and I have a big nose and they're going to write to my university president to try to get me fired. Right. So some of these acts of free speech that are freedom to are the freedom to harass people to the point where they're driven off the platforms. So if you are one of these guys that likes to be like just being devil's advocate for a minute, or like, but what if, or like thought experiment, um, and none of it attaches to your personal life, um, you're gonna have a great time just yelling at people on the internet. Um, and I'm, I've am i had that experience of being yelled at on the internet and a certain amount of that I can take, but when people start, um, Sexualizing me, or when people start trying to get into my DMs, which I've had to close, uh, so that that people would be sending me very rude things, very hurtful things, very upsetting things. And the point of their free speech is to suppress my speech, is to make me so scared I don't come back, right? Um, and that's um, a problem that large social media sites have increasingly found themselves having to deal with, particularly by by women, by marginalized communities, generally anyone who deviates from the norm or who doesn't feel comfortable with their personal safety in all situations are more interested in the freedom from that makes a space to say the
6: things that we want to say.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Just based on body language, Beverly, I can tell this is resonating with you.
6: Definitely. Like I've been yelled at online countless times Mm -hmm. and it is, it is really scary. And it's something that all social media platforms are dealing with. Um, I think we have to remember that it's an option to be on social media. It's not a right like you don't have to be there at all um but definitely like if you want a, a safe space twitter is not the safe space that you think it is
0: <laughs> is that but is that kind of like, like amy i'd love to pick your brain on this too is is that is, is that in a way giving twitter or or for that matter any social media platform a a, a bit too generous of a pass um like is it <laughs> i don't know beverly i don't know but you can you can tell me if you think this is unfair i'm just i'm this is just occurring to me but you know that whole idea of of you know in in, in, a, in a horrific circumstance where there's been a sexual assault um you know there was that that prominent judge robin camp you know why didn't you keep your legs together he asks a woman a survivor testifying on the stand or people are saying well what was she wearing or how was she behaving or was she dr-? is that is that the social media equivalent to to say and i'm not saying you're saying this beverly necessarily but Um, you don't have to be here. Like, why don't you just close your account? Amy, what do you you think about it?
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, Beverly and I both work substantially on Twitter, right? This is part of my job to do this, right? I fart around on the internet for a living. It's a huge source of personal connections for me um, and work connections. It connects me with journalists. I expect that you found me because I'm on Twitter, right? You know me from these spaces. Everybody knows me from these spaces. Um, I get a lot of good out of doing this. uh, And I don't think that I should have to develop a thicker skin for hate speech um, and doxing or say, well, my option is to sort of close up my account with my seven thousand followers and all the professional and personal benefits and access to the public space it gives me because um, we have to let everybody speak right but that kind of let everybody speak means that some of us are just going to leave because it's not it's not safe and and everyone deserves to be able to be heard online even if sometimes that means that some people have a little bit of their capacity to speak constrained <laughs>
0: Beverly, have you have you been in a position like that yourself? I mean, have you have you I mean, I, of course, this is your business, like, like Amy's saying same deal. Um, but have you had moments where you thought I'm just going to walk away? I mean, we're, we, we're seeing like 1000s and 1000s of people are doing that right now. And I think they're almost just, they're getting ahead of what they think Twitter might be like, and it's sending a pretty strong message. I mean, that's a story that we're keeping an eye on. How does that apply to you personally?
6: I walked away from Twitter. Like I've deleted the app from my phone, especially during election time, because it can be really draining. And I think reading a lot of ignorant tweets is just like face palming myself. Um, but definitely I think I've yeah, I've taken a break from social media. I've had social media burnout just because I'm on it every day. So it is something that I can take a break from, but it's not something that led me to like, I want to delete my Twitter account. This is getting so bad. Um an, a rebel media person retweeted something that I said and all of her followers came and trolled me for a while and basically I just stayed off Twitter because it's like well no matter what you say to certain people they're not going to listen um but again with Elon bringing it back to Elon Musk and Twitter his whole thing is he wants to make sure that hey there's going to be an edit button there's going to be um notifications that say if this why this person. Um, tweet has been either promoted or demoted and it's going to be shown to us hopefully if he says what he's going to do that if if something's been de-empathized or empathized this is why so I'm looking forward to that part of Elon Musk's Twitter future Um, he wants no no behind the scenes manipulation meaning um, it's whether that's AI or manual he wants us to be able to see that these things are going on and this is why because of the ai
0: it's like we're talking about the guy that's you know owns or has at least steers companies that are making evs mainstream that are sending you know, rockets into space and and hoping to, I know, sort of like change that game. So Elon Musk certainly is a is a big thinker and he's certainly ambitious. I, I'd be curious to know how much he actually understands about the operations of Twitter and, and why some things are the way they are and the potential implications of making some of the changes that he says he's going to make. Uh, a lot of this is a politicized conversation, uh, like I saw when Beverly mentioned that that certain uh, media outlet, and it just gives this like gross taste in my mouth when I even think about saying that Amy your eyebrows just raised and a lot of people are talking about where dialogues going to go here and and Donald Trump says he's not coming back to Twitter even if they invite him but a lot of people are wondering if that ban will be lifted and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene the congresswoman out of Georgia that's been sort of the, the, the what do you want to say the purveyor of conspiracy theories and, and and she's demanding that she be allowed back on Twitter what kind of a message would that send if if to use her as an example if marjorie taylor green is back on twitter and back in action what message does that send
5: i think that says that twitter is a platform um which is canny for it to do is sort of saying we are not responsible for the consequences we are simply a platform we're not a content provider right um we just open the space and people put their words in it and if it you know turns out that 1 million people in the united states die from covid 250,000 of them uh, after the the vaccine might have saved them because of things they read on Twitter. Well, they should have better media literacy. Um, that's not Twitter's fault. We don't do content, right? And, and it's telling, I think, to see how many of these sort of very right-wing um, free speech absolutists are now saying, yeah, Elon Musk, let's go for it. You know, it's like that, that old saying, like, it's not the band I hate. It's their fans, right? So the idea of a more transparent Twitter that shows us how its algorithm works is great. But I get worried when I see who is excited, <laughs> right, by the changes that Elon Musk is proposing to make. Uh, and it's the same people who have been removed from the platform for what reasonable observers would describe as egregious, non-factual, um, pot-stirring, insurrection-raising materials. Right. All these people are very, very excited by this, and that gives me pause
0: yeah yeah i i that's very well said and that's that's kind of what i've been been experiencing is i just see who's really championing this and and then that kind of makes you go eh, what do they know that i don't know and that's why i'm grateful that the two of you are here um that we were talking yesterday john and i were talking about and i've seen people commenting on it with their own tweets that the follower counts have dropped uh, for some people somewhat significantly um in the united states and um we've got an asking with a gentleman that we're going to talk to next week who's an expert on these spam bots and everything and and beverly want to ask you about that but but people are saying well maybe it's some of the bots are they're, they're they're disappearing or maybe 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 people really are walking away from Twitter. We conducted an unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll, had about 1,800 people chime in. 30% of them, almost one in three, said, I'm out, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, Stateside, typically, over the last two days, Democrats, like elected representatives, Democrats have been bleeding followers. Republicans, their follower counts are skyrocketing, and they're seeing that happen, which is really fascinating. Uh, I'd be interested in both of your takes on that, maybe starting with you, Beverly.
6: So I believe the percentage is there's 15% of all Twitter users are spam bots, and like if you count on the high section on the high section of it, um, University of Southern California did a study on it and they found 15%. So that equals 48 million accounts on Twitter that are fake or or spam or run by bots. Um, but remembering that not all bots are are evil some of them tweet about natural disasters share the news that type of thing but um definitely i think like twitter has been trying to combat the spam bots and whether that's because they don't have enough time or budget to combat them we'll see i guess if elon musk can hopefully get rid of them but um definitely like Elon Musk even said like he wants to make sure that the, the people on Twitter are real people, whether and someone allegedly said that maybe it's uh, users paying a Bitcoin or, or percentage of a Bitcoin to prove that they're real people. So then spam bots, the people who run spam bots don't actually have the amount of money to spend against to register these spam bots. So there's, I'm curious to see what Elon Musk can do with that and how he can get rid of spam bots and ensure everyone on Twitter is a real person. We saw it with Facebook where Facebook required that you like when they first started that you had a university account, that type of thing. So I'm curious to see what he implements for Twitter for spam bots, but definitely it is something that can um, basically in it, it, will influence elections, it can influence people's opinions It can influence world views, that type of thing. So I'm just like, I guess, overall, I'm just curious to see like we can talk about it all we want, but we're not going to see it yet. So
0: Amy, where do you see that going? Or what are you paying attention to in that context?
6: I am paying attention
5: to my own follower accounts. I lost 40 people yesterday. I was like, was it something I said and then I noticed it. it's not it's just kind of going around. I, I think in the last several years Twitter has actually got a lot better with the spam bots and I would say uh, Twitter's reporting tools have have got a lot better. Uh, sometimes I, I don't know why um, I receive like new follows or or mentions from accounts that I always go and check. The new accounts right because I, I i'm like real quick with the block button there and um uh, you know sometimes i will get content that's clearly eating disorders based and there's a button to report that now right and away it goes there's a button to report bots um and away they go i would say my feed has a lot less kind of malicious actor fake person content in it than it used to in fact it's worse on my instagram right Mm. now that that kind of thing so I think Twitter's got a lot better at tracing the patterns of of automation that produce some of those tweets I mean but I follow some great bots like the my little pony bot that just retweets any content that has my little pony friendship is magic uh, somewhere in it I follow a self-care bot that just sends me reminders in my Twitter feed to remember to hydrate and take my meds or have a snack or look out a window or something right so as a Beverly notes not all bots are evil um and the problem there is distinguishing um that type of thing but like remember that that Elon Musk is a guy who regularly trolls others on Twitter right who engages in exactly the kind of behavior we don't want to see so remember when the the children were rescued from that underground cave that got flooded yeah Um, one of the rescuers there had, had said something critical of Elon Musk who then launched into a campaign of uh, sticking his followers on this person um, calling him a pedophile right which is like your a number one troll maneuver 4chan maneuver right of like well you're a pedophile right so for women they'll be like you're ugly go make me a sandwich uh, yeah. and then for everybody else it's like you're a pedophile or you're a groomer or you're whatever and so with his hundreds of you know tens of, of millions of followers, Elon Musk was like, this guy said something mean about me, I'm going to call him a pedophile and unleash my army on him is exactly the kind of behavior that almost everybody is hoping that Twitter is able to prevent. And it's difficult to imagine that's going to happen when the guy who's now in charge of Twitter is the guy who does the behavior we don't really want to see that much more of.
0: Yeah, that was a, a Vernon Unsworth for people that want to Google it was was the guy that had attempted that rescue. Uh, Musk called it a failed PR attempt. Okay. And, then there, and then there's also like there's anecdotal stories of uh, just to say, uh, was it a graphic designer or It was somebody, some tech guy that had ordered a Tesla and then he'd been critical of Elon Musk or of Tesla on Twitter. And then order he had canceled. his he had his order canceled. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, so I've, I've seen some people joking, saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here on uh, Twitter and, and you know, keep posting photos of like Elon Musk and his name Maxwell or, or whatever. Keep posting criticism of Elon Musk. And you kind of wonder how long that would last, too. I mean, you know, Elon has gone on the record this week and said he hopes his critics stay. He said he that said that's his what-
5: worst critics. Right. Which I think is a tell right there. Like even my worst critics. So already he's sort of making judgments. He's not like um, people who disagree with me. I'm eager to hear it because that's what free speech means. He's like, even my worst critics, I'll let you say what you want to say. Right. Yeah, I'm going to engage with it or or listen with it. I mean, and and Tesla, too, is being sued for workplace discrimination, right, for sexism and racism in the workplace um, and for some sort of sexist and racist behavior from from Musk himself on on factory floors and in meetings. He does not seem to be attentive um, to the power that this platform has given to historically marginalized groups like we see movements like Me Too start on Twitter, Oscars So White starts on Twitter, right? There's a whole section of Twitter um, that scholars nominate as as Black Twitter, which is like a very vibrant and thriving social space for the promotion of Black excellence and Black culture. Um, and I, I don't think Elon Musk has any idea about the very different uses of Twitter undertaken by very different types of communities, some of whom need to be protected from the actions of some of the other communities in that space.
0: Amy, you've just, you've described hashtags. I mean, Me Too might, I don't know, is that is that the most trended hashtag most used hashtag of all time it might be it's certainly up there it's up it's one of them for sure um you, your research specifically has focused on how people use selfies and hashtags yes. um, in their activism or in their everyday lives or how they represent themselves online can, can you take us into that a little bit into your research specifically on hashtags sure.
5: sure um i looked into a little bit the abigail fisher case in the united states which was a, a white woman who had not gained entry to the university of texas at austin and launched Um, a lawsuit that went all the way up to the Supreme Court about um, taking down affirmative action protections there. And um, what was being promoted a lot in in mainstream news reports um, were the talking points of that case, which was like mismatch theory, which is we admit Black students because they're Black students and they don't succeed because they're mismatched to this institution. We let them in under false pretenses. Um, And that's very hurtful, right? Um, And so one of the movements that came up on on Twitter from Black Twitter there was um, around... um, Becky with the bad grades, right? So they, they called Abigail Fisher for what she was, was someone who actually had not the grades um, to get in. Um, and then they also promoted photos of Black graduates and Black students at these high ranking, very selective institutions that sort of spoke back to mainstream news reports and talking points and Supreme Court judgments that, um, you know, opined about like Black students are not prepared, they go to bad high schools, they all flunk out and they just flooded social media with images of themselves succeeding, giving them access to a kind of public space um, to narrate a counter story that was different from what newspapers and jurisprudence were showing us, right? And and a platform like Twitter is the only place that something like that can get so big that then it gets covered by the New York Times, right? And so those stories become part of mainstream news coverage in, in ways that they never would have been. The Me Too story is very similar, right? It's difficult to imagine that Harvey Weinstein would ever have been charged, let alone tried and convicted, had it not been for this massive sharing of women's stories in these online spaces collected under this hashtag that let us know just how pervasive that problem was because those stories have been around forever. We, we don't see them in the newspaper. We don't hear them on the radio. We don't see them in television newscasts. It took a public open platform with no gatekeepers to allow people to tell those stories and then let the audience sort of build it up into something massive, like a tidal wave. Hmm.
0: Fascinating stuff. Um, Beverly, I want to ask you this in closing. We've got some interesting uh, insight from Justin Evans on our live chat right now. He says, if the threshold for the Tesla stock is reached um, and he's forced to sell it. We mentioned it's down about 12% uh, yesterday, dropped the I mean the value of that is over hundred billion dollars. Uh, it would cause a downward spiral, says Justin. Tesla extremely overvalued as a stock. I don't know if everybody would agree with that, but I'll read his comment. It says, and as an early entrant is poised to dip significantly, says, look what happened to Netflix. Nobody thought 60% of its value would disappear so quickly. That's been a fascinating story to follow. Uh, Justin says, 12% of Tesla's value disappears overnight at this news. It's completely feasible that a single bad quarterly report could cause a dip that would force these loans to be called. We'll have to see what happens. Um, Nobody knows what's going to happen right now. Beverly, you earlier commented on the impact this could have on your business or on advertising or on Twitter's revenue. Uh, It's obviously a huge purchase. Some are suggesting that, especially with the founding CEO, the former CEO, Jack Dorsey, his endorsement of this sale, that it's in a way, maybe even a veiled indictment of Dorsey's successor and of Twitter's recent performance when it comes to revenue. Do you think that there's a way that this can be uh, a financial or a revenue winner? Elon Musk, or, or, or do you see Twitter's value dropping here? Do you think this is more a purchase based on principle than profit?
6: Oh, I mean, let's look at the board company, Tesla, Starlink, everything like that. How is Twitter going to be playing into Elon Musk's overall ecosystem? So, for example, we have Apple. Um, if you have an iPhone, you need to use um apple or itunes music um you need if you have an apple maps that type of thing because you have an iphone so if you have a tesla does it mean that you have to use twitter or like how is that going to integrate together and how is this economically i mean viable for elon musk's companies to all be like his ecosystem like how is this going to benefit all of them so i think I, he also said in the TED in the talk with with the TED platform, um, he said that he doesn't care about it economically. Like he's not in it for the money because he could instead of just raising those funds, he could have just bought it because he had enough money. It's like must be nice, but um, yeah. So I mean he said he's in it just like, it's kind of like, it sounds like it's going to be his pet project. And I think we also have to remember that it's not just Elon Musk running Twitter. Like he's not going to be there every day. He's going to have a board of directors. He's going to have shareholders. He's going to have people that are responsible for certain things. So, I mean, if you compare him to the Mark Zuckerberg, Mark doesn't, Make everyday decisions. There's people that are telling him what to do or experts on telling him um, how things will go. So, I mean, we'll see how the stock goes for Twitter, but definitely, like, I don't think Elon Musk really cares about it financially. I mean, that could be something stupid to say just because I'm assuming he's like a billionaire and it doesn't matter to him. But he actually said he doesn't care about the economics of the platform, he just wants to see it being used properly.
0: Amy, anything you want to add to that before we thank you for your time?
6: Yeah.
5: Um, yeah. I mean, that's a bit concerning too, because he once tried to buy the onion and couldn't get it the way he wanted. So he started a new sort of uh, satirical thing. And he told the founders of that site, which he had poached from the onion, that money wasn't an object, that it wasn't going to be a revenue generating thing for him. And that it was a pet project. And then after, you know, before it even truly launched, he was just like, I'm not interested anymore and pulled the plug. So it is entirely possible from that precedent, since there are really, there's no accountability structure if Twitter is going private, it's not a public company anymore, he could just shut it down. If that's, that's
0: what Dr. Uh, to do. Dr. Amy Morrison, uh, Associate Professor of English, Waterloo University, researcher and author, and uh, social media strategist, Beverly Teresa, and you can find them both online, you can follow them on Twitter. Uh, using for now. The <laughs> handle for now. I just you- did. Yeah, Johnny just did. There you go. Um, from our account, Real Talk RJ, we let you know every single morning who's going to be on the show, including their Twitter handles. Thank you to you both. It's really great to have you here on the show. We appreciate it.
6: Thanks, Ryan. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Uh, Johnny, have, uh, have you? I mean, you you just followed the good doctor. Does that mean that you're sticking
4: around? It means you're staying? It means you're keeping your account? I need some help. I think that's what it means. I really liked how Beverly, just as I'm switching the camera angles here, a lot of people in Zoom today, that uh, Beverly has like this positive uh, uh, kind of attitude as we were sitting there about what Elon's going to do. But I have the same fears uh, kind of uh, as Amy had, like that... uh, Maybe he will just destroy Twitter. Maybe it'll cease to exist. I mean, and he could totally do that. I mean, obviously he wouldn't. But uh, yeah, I have those fears. And I really liked how Teresa, or sorry. um, Beverly, yeah. uh, Yeah, how Beverly um, was kind of being positive. But uh, I'm leaning towards the fear that I have with Amy. But Amy's also helping me. Like I already went on while we were talking and, and like eliminated some stuff from my newsfeed. Like, ah. I, I should have been doing this long before because I do think Twitter is a tool that can uplift, can make people feel better. It can uh, sure. It can be a, I don't want to say weapon for change, but it can make change happen and very fast. But as uh, Amy was saying, it can also be horrible. It can be a tool for hate. It yeah, can it be can be both. For- it, it,
0: it's it's like, you know, people saying guns don't kill people. People kill people. Uh, maybe Twitter's the Tweets? gun. I don't know. <laughs> Tweets. <laughs> Tweets don't... <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like Beverly used the word when she said she's excited to see what this means for Twitter. And I think that that's a that's a good word to use, because if you think about it, excited, the word itself, like kind of the way that that word can be used, it doesn't necessarily mean euphoric or thrilled. Yeah. Um, and I think that one of the things that it's doing and, and John, I feel like it's it's doing this uh, for you right now, too, um, is that it's, it's prompting you to sort of examine um, how you use the app and how you interact with the app and how the app integrates to your personal identity or how you glean information or how you interact with other users. These are positive conversations to have. These are positive thoughts 100%. to have, no matter which way you slice it, no matter which way you end up, whether you end up signing up for Twitter or leaving Twitter. I mean, mm-hmm. if got a, Um, some people following me yesterday, I noticed because I'm paying more attention to it right now. These are new accounts. Are these people coming back? Maybe. Yeah. Um, Is it people that were kicked off? Maybe. I don't know. And then there's a bunch of people that are taking off. Elon Musk tweeting, by the way, and I should mention this um, yesterday. He said the extreme antibody reaction from those who fear free speech says it all by free speech. I simply mean that which matches the law. Elon Musk saying, I am against censorship that goes far beyond the law. If people want less free speech, they will ask government to pass laws to that effect. Therefore, going beyond the law is contrary to the will of the people. That from Elon Musk. Uh, Curious for your thoughts on that. We always want to know where you're at with what you're hearing here on the show. I wanted to tell you uh, quickly about Kubi Energy. Uh, Jake, uh, the CEO, Jake Kubiski over at Kubi Energy, just last week I was telling you, I sat down with him and I said, like, what's new? What do you want Real Talkers to know about? He says, well, specifically, we know that not all of our audience lives in our home city, obviously. Uh, But for those of you that do, uh, this is for you. The city of Edmonton has a program right now. Uh, They're going to kick some cash toward your solar install. It's one of these incentive programs, but it's almost 100% subscribed. When Jake and I talked, it was 98% subscribed. So with, you know, here's what I think. Even if it's 100% subscribed, when you contact Kubi Energy, they'll do the legwork and the research for you. When a program like that, related to environmental action is oversubscribed. It just means they're going to bump up the cap. It means they want more people to get involved, right? That's just one example. Uh, The Canada Greener Homes Grant is another one. Doesn't matter where you live in the country. That one applies to you. Kubi is expert in finding the programs, the incentives, the rebates, the kickbacks that could make your solar install reality in the next number of weeks. It's solar energy solutions to power your life. You'll find it all at kubienergy.ca infinity healthcare is in the business of finding perfect fits when it comes to home care the home care of your loved ones your relatives you want to make sure they're receiving the care they receive in consistent fashion in a way that makes them comfortable cultural sensitivities language barriers these are the types of things that they address through their personality matching service when they find the perfect fit for your family's Home care. It's Infinity Healthcare, and you can find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Before we go, uh, I wanted to mention some sad news that we saw yesterday. As a matter of fact, I heard about it from our good friend Brandy Morin. You remember Brandy, the journalist that was on the show back on April 7th, talking about her trip uh, to the Vatican uh, to witness the Pope's apology for residential schools. Well, Brandy, yesterday letting us know that country music singer Shane Yellowbird, who had been uh, living with epilepsy, it had been increasingly a problem in his life, a challenge over the past few years, uh, suffered a seizure a short time ago and unfortunately didn't make it out alive. Brandy says everyone is heartbroken, and that includes me. I got to know Shane over the years. Uh, We played hockey at a number of different charity tournaments, and I knew him to be A man of passion, a man of great talent and certainly one who took not only his career in country music, uh, but his role as a dad very seriously. And so on behalf of Real Talk and the family here at Relay, uh, we want to send our condolences to Shane Yellowbird's family and certainly I don't know what to say about it. Taken uh, at an incredibly young age. And it's a huge loss for, I know a lot of people, including young indigenous kids who looked up to Shane Yellowbird in such a big way. You could see it at these hockey tournaments, at the music festivals he played. These young kids would come up to him and they could maybe see themselves in him up on stage performing, writing the songs that that he had written. And our thoughts are with his family today. Coming up on tomorrow's Real Talk, uh, she's just graduated with her JD from the Faculty of Law at the University of Alberta. And on the heels of that, an incredible award, an honor that Anita Cardinal is going to tell us all about. I can't wait for that conversation. Plus on Friday, as mentioned, conservative leadership candidate Jean Charest will join us in lieu of the Real Talk Roundtable. Tell your friends. We hope you'll tune in. We'll see you then.
1: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lauren Strelago, General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Tavetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Carmen Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr.